Our priest is a dying man. The dying men, women, youth. And I will preach as though I will never preach again. So God, God has his reasons for why he saves us in stages. Sanctifies us slowly, makes us fill up every day at his pump. Lest we forget where the gas comes from. Welcome to Follow Me to Heaven, where God's word is truth and your questions matter. I'm your host, Jonathan Romero, and today we're going to begin with chapter 2 of Colossians. So, we're going to be focusing on the first three verses of chapter 2. I was thinking of doing verses 1 through 5, but I believe uh, the first three verses are uh, is something that we should discuss more and think about as we read God's word and figure out what exactly does God have for us there? What What is God trying to tell us, right? It's in his word. Uh, therefore, we must read it. We must understand it. Uh, so yeah, without further ado, let's, uh, let's read Colossians chapter two. Uh, let's just read from verses one through five. So it says this, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and a knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. So that is verses 1 through 5. But let's look at verse 1. It says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who had not seen me face to face. So what do we see there? What What is God telling us there? Well, first, we, we know it's Paul writing this letter. And what is Paul saying? Well, Paul is expressing his concern for the people of God, uh, as we see here for the Colossians, and even, as he says there, and for those at Laodicea. So, the Laodiceans, also, Paul has his concern for, and what, it, what, what else does he say? He says, and for all who have not seen me face to face. So, yes, Paul is expressing his concern for the people of God. And, and those people are the Colossians, the Laodiceans, and all who has not seen him. And as we went over last season, the Ephesians, right? Because Paul wrote the letter to the Ephesians the same time he wrote the letter of Colossians. That's why they were very close in similarity is because Paul had similar a, a similar message to both of them as he was writing to both of them. Uh, and also one, one thing about the Laodiceans, as he mentions here, uh, Laodicea was about nine miles away from Colossae. 
So it was it was fairly close to each other. Uh, so we can see that there was a close relationship between uh, the two. And as we read in chapter 1, verse 7, Paul did not plant a church at Colossae. Instead, it was Epaphras who taught the good news to the people. It was Epaphras who discipled the people. And what did he disciple them? Well, the message that he learned from Paul when Paul was on his missionary voyage. Uh, and when he ministered to, the, to Ephesus, right? When he went to Ephesus for three years, he ministered there. And just to, just to go back to Colossians chapter 1 verse 7 to read you. Uh, what it says, it says, Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in a spirit. So what Epaphras did is that he told Paul all that is happening there at the church of Colossae. And Paul is greatly encouraged by that. And now Paul is writing a letter to these people, right? So these are people that Epaphras was taught in Ephesus and he brought it to the Colossians. And Epaphras, as we read there in uh, verse 7, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister on your behalf. So on that that is to say that Epaphras was from Colossae. So, of course, he's going to tell this good news to the people who doesn't know the good news yet, right? You would want to let the people know, and that's what Epaphras did. Um, but what are we seeing here? It says, and for all who has not seen me face to face. So there are people who has not seen Paul, and yet Paul is encouraging them with this letter. And with the letter of the Ephesians, right? Because Paul, even when he wrote that letter, he made a mention to have it read not only in Ephesus, uh, but in other places in that region. So we see Paul has a great concern for these people. But what is that great concern? Well, look at verses 2 and 3. It says that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding, and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. So, what is Paul's great struggle? Well, Paul's great struggle is that their hearts may be encouraged. That's one. Two, that this encouragement is brought about through the knitting together of their hearts in love. Three, that they may reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding. And four, to gain the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. <clears throat> so, hearts may be encouraged through the knitting together in love, right? Their hearts being knit together in love. By doing so, they are able to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding. And that understanding comes about through the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Right? Look at what it says in verse 3. In whom 
are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So, from what we read in these two verses, from this, uh, to being able to search Christ in whom all knowledge and wisdom are hidden, right? So, from all of that that is mentioned, that the hearts may be encouraged through the knitting together in love, uh, that they may reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding uh, the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. From that, we are able now to search Christ because we see that Christ in Christ is hidden all knowledge and wisdom. Therefore, we are to search Christ in whom has all knowledge and wisdom. Right? And notice it says, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. How many of you have played hide and seek? And then one person hides and the other person is looking after them after they count to 10. Right? They say, ready or not, here I come. They're looking for them. They're searching around the house or wherever you are playing hide and seek in order to find the person. Well, here the wisdom and knowledge of God is hidden in Christ, or you could say found in Christ. Therefore, we must search Christ if we want to gain any knowledge or any wisdom uh, for that matter, right? We must search Christ diligently if you seek to understand God's mystery, which is Christ. Search deeply to gain wisdom and knowledge. You see, we must begin with Christ, who is the Lord, if we desire to know and understand all things. Because we learn about Christ in His Word, we learn what's wrong with the world in His Word. We see that the Holy Spirit reveals to us what is hidden in His Word. So, God's Word is vitally important for us to search in order to gain an understanding of what God wants us to know and how God wants us to conduct ourselves in this world. And even he tells us what's wrong with this world through his word and how God is reconciled all things to himself. And that's through the preaching of the cross. Well, look at Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1 verses 1 through 7. It says, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth, let the wise hear and increase in learning. And the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and the riddles. Verse 7, here it is. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So right here it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And Lord here is in all capital letters, if you're reading out of the ESV. And what that signifies is that the word Lord um, is the Hebrew word Yahweh, which within Yahweh or the, the Godhead is 
the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So you could say that all three, Yahweh is the beginning of knowledge. So we must fear Yahweh in order to begin to gain an understanding, right? To gain knowledge. And those who do not fear the Lord, they are the ones despising wisdom and instruction that comes from the one in whom all knowledge and wisdom is hidden in. And you see why Paul makes a mention that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and instruction or wisdom and knowledge, right? Those words are used interchangeably. But, but yeah, we see how important it is that we fear the Lord to begin to gain an understanding. Uh, not only what's wrong with the world, but gain an understanding of who Christ is. Right? Because what does he say in verse 4 and 5? We'll touch on that later or next time. But it says, I say this in order that you, that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Right? Things that sound to be true. Things that sound, hmm, you know, that sounds good. But if in Christ is hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge and we come to figure out that these plausible arguments are actually wrong. Uh, therefore, we must be not led by these false arguments, but instead we must be led by uh, the wisdom and knowledge that God has given us that is found where? In his word. Verse 5, For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and what? And the firmness of your faith in Christ. So that's what Paul is after when he's telling them that he is struggling um, for them. Because he's struggling that their hearts may be knit together in love. That they may be encouraged, right? That they may reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and to know the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. So ultimately, it's all about Christ and it's always been about Christ. It's not about us and, and what God has in, in store for us, necessarily. It's more about Christ and to make him known to a world who hates him. Yet, they, they claim to not know Christ. They claim to uh, have other gods. But instead, we must shed this light through what the preaching of God's word, right? So Proverbs 4, 7, it says the beginning of wisdom is acquire wisdom. Isn't that funny? The beginning of wisdom is what? To acquire it, which makes sense. Think of rabbit stew, right? And you're writing out a recipe for a rabbit stew. Well, what is the main ingredient? Rabbit. So you have to catch the rabbit in order to make rabbit stew. Well, the beginning of wisdom is what? To get wisdom. And then what? With all your acquiring, get understanding, it says. That's the NASB. The ESV, it says, the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight, gain understanding. And actually, I like the, the NLT as well. It helps us understand uh, uh, what is 
trying to be said there. It says this in Proverbs 4, 7 in the NLT. It says, getting wisdom is the wisest thing you can do. And whatever else you do, develop good judgment, right? So it's saying the same thing. That in order to begin to gain wisdom, well, you have to get it, right? That's the, the wisest thing to do. And then whatever else you do, develop good judgment, gain understanding. Because with this understanding, it's not just for head knowledge. We gain understanding so that we may conduct ourselves rightly and properly in a world that is fallen, right? Listen to what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm going to read, let's see here. I'm going to read from verses, from verse 23 through 25. So it says, well, let me read verse 22. It says, For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek, Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Verse 25, For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So, we must gain an understanding. We must understand, first and foremost, the fear of the Lord. And how is that done? Well, through the preaching of the gospel. Because what is the gospel? Well, the gospel helps us understand our predicament. It helps us understand our fallenness from a holy God. We have transgressed his law. Therefore, him being the righteous judge that he is, he has to uh, commence judgment. And what is that judgment? Well, it's eternity in hell, right? Sometimes we don't like to hear that. But that is the reality, right? When you sin against God, transgress against the Lord, there are consequences to that, right? We can't get to the forgiveness yet because we have to first understand what we have done in order to receive his just punishment. And when we sin against God, there are consequences to that. And because God is eternal, his judgment, his sentencing has to be eternal. Right? So what good is it that you be sentenced to five years in hell to God who has no years, right? He is eternal. He is forever. It does nothing for him. There's no justice being done because you're being let loose. So um, we, we have a fallen understanding of prison, if you want to call it that, because in prison, we put people in prison for 20 years uh, for committing a crime like rape. Sometimes it's less, sometimes it's more. Uh, the judge determines that, but ultimately, the Lord says for the wages of sin is what? Is death. When we sin against the Lord, 
we have fallen, we have sinned against him, and therefore our payment is death. We earned it, so he's given it to us. You see, God would commit injustice if he were not to give us our just punishment, if he were just to let us go, right? That's why we can't get to the forgiveness yet, because we have to understand um, where we are, right, as fallen. And then from there, we can finally get to the forgiveness part. Well, doesn't God forgive? Well, he does, but someone has to pay that punishment, right? It's either you or it's either Christ whom God has sent on the behalf of his people, right? What did Jesus come to do? He came to save his people from their sins. And how was that done? Well, that was done through him dying on the cross. See, the Lord Jesus took upon himself the sins of all of those who would call on him, past, present, and future. And because of that, we trust in the Lord and we cast ourselves onto him and ask him to save us. And the only reason why we're casting ourselves onto him is because the Lord has already begun a good work within us. He made us alive. You see, we wouldn't react that way. We wouldn't cast ourselves onto the Lord asking for forgiveness if we weren't made alive. You see, that's what Ephesians tells us. Look at what it says in Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 1, it says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. You see, we were not children of God at that time. We were children of wrath. And what else does it say? Like the rest of mankind. So he's speaking to believers and he says, you were once there. You were, you were once following the prince of the power of the air. You were once sons of disobedience. You were actually by nature children of wrath. And in verse 4, it says, But God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were, what? dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So, going back to Colossians, Paul's great struggle that they, their hearts may be encouraged, it first begins with the fear of the Lord and searching Christ. And once that is done, we begin to understand the gospel a lot better, clearer, to where now 
we can begin understanding how we can knit ourselves together in love, right? That our hearts may be encouraged through the knitting together in love. And how or why can that be? Because we begin to learn the love of God in Christ. What Christ did for us. Right in Romans, we are told that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were God-haters, Christ died for us. And what does First John tell us? That we know love because he first loved us. So for me to love my brother, my sister in Christ, for me to be able to be knit together in love to these people, I have to first understand the love of God. And that is first done through the preaching of the gospel. Because the preaching of the gospel begins to unravel all these things that I've not understood before. And now from there, we are able to now begin to search Christ for knowledge and wisdom that are hidden in him. We are to seek Christ diligently, right? The Lord tells us that he gives us all that we need. But how is that done? It says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you, right? He gives us what we need, but we must search Christ. We must seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And we must ask, right? Simple as that. What does James chapter 1 tell us? Chapter 1 verse 5. James chapter 1 verse 5. It says this, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But listen to what it says in verse 6. But let him ask in faith. So, we must ask God for wisdom and he will give it to us. But we must trust that the Lord will grant us the wisdom. We must not be like the one who's going to be tossed to and fro uh, by the waves, like it says. It says, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave and a sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. But yeah, it's simple as asking. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously. But as we ask God for wisdom, we're just not going to wait for God to respond to us audibly. No, we have to search his word. Because in his word, we find truth that God wants us to know. You want to hear God speak? Well, read the word aloud. Or if you have a phone, play it. Have it played and have the person who is narrating or reading the word, play it out loud. Now you're hearing God. You see, the word of God is alive and active and it remains alive and active. And it's forever going to be alive and active. So we find That God's word is able to tell us exactly what we need to know. You see, we ask God for wisdom and we search God's word for wisdom. The Proverbs, right, filled with wisdom. And you see, all of God's word is truth. God's word is truth. Therefore, we must trust it. We must rely on it. Right? We're not upholding the Bible as if it is deity, no, but it is our absolute authority. It is our, uh, the, the very basis of where we get understanding of this world, gain an understanding of God and who he is and what he has done. Um, because all of scripture points to who? To Christ. 
that's the purpose of it. Old Testament points forward to Christ. The Gospels point to Christ. The Epistles point back to Christ. You see, and now we are awaiting for the Lord to return. And as we await, we must continue to seek wisdom. We must continue to seek understanding. Right? That we may be encouraged. That we may reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding. You see, we haven't gotten all understanding yet. We have to keep gaining an understanding. We will forever in the future, until we give our last breath, uh, continue to learn. We are to be a learning people as Christians. And I would say if you're not a Christian, I would say repent from your sins. Put your faith in Christ. Trust in Him. Learn about Him. Because without the fear of the Lord, you will not be able to gain any kind of of meaningful wisdom, right? The wisdom of the world, as we read, is what is foolishness to God. Like, the wisdom of the world is nothing compared to God's wisdom. Nothing. So, repent and believe, trust in the Lord, and gain understanding. This is Follow Me to Heaven with Jonathan Romero. <laughs> Ha! <laughs>